Welcome to the StoryGrid Writer's Room Podcast with Valerie Francis and Leslie Watts. This show is all about getting writers writing. There's a story inside of you that's trying to get out, and even though you love this stuff, sometimes it feels like you're banging your head against the wall. Well, the StoryGrid method is like a decoder ring, and it will help you crack any story you can dream up. The hardest part is knowing where to start, but that's what we're here for. We've been where you are now, and we can help. Here on the show, we'll give you a practical approach to the StoryGrid method so that you can put it to work. If you want to crack the story code, roll up your sleeves, and let's get started. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 11 of the StoryGrid Writer's Room Podcast. My name is Leslie Watts. I'm a StoryGrid certified editor, and I help fiction and nonfiction writers craft epic stories that matter. And I'm Valerie Francis, and I'm also a StoryGrid certified editor. I'm a writer as well, and I specialize in stories by, for, and about women. So Valerie, this season we've been studying scenes, of course, they are the building block of stories. And if you want to write a story that works, you have to be able to write scenes that work. We've looked at novels, short stories, one little film scene, all from different genres, 10 different genres. So this week, to wrap things up, we thought it would be a good idea to summarize our key takeaways and the lessons we've learned. Okay, so I think it would be good to talk a little bit about the genres, right? We did 10 genres, and it, what was interesting to me is that is how many things they had, the stories ha actually had in common, which was really interesting. What did you notice uh, about the genres and, and the stories that we picked this season? Well, we, we chose them, as we said at the beginning of the season, from stories that are already in the StoryGrid universe somewhere. They're in a course that Sean and Tim teach. They were on the Roundtable podcast or something like that, in the hope that it would remove one of the barriers to learning here for StoryGrid. Because if you've already seen The King's Speech, you may not need to watch it again to understand the scene that we studied. So the, the big, the more I study story, Leslie, in all its forms, whether it's film or television or novels or in a song or lately I've been paying more attention to comedy because I've heard Jerry Seinfeld's comments about how he creates his act and he uses the same language that we're using. He's talking about exactly the same things that we're talking about, but he's applying it to a joke, which is probably more like poetry, I'm guessing. Well, I'm certainly not an expert in poetry and I really am not an expert in comedy. But it sounds to me like it might be the same thing because a lot has got to happen with very few words. So the more I study story across genre, the more I'm amazed I am at how there's really a few basic concepts 
that make a story work. And then what you have to learn is how to make a particular medium sing. Like how, how do you apply these things to prose versus uh, film or music or comedy? What do you think? Yeah, I think that definitely stories, there's a story foundation and then the medium determines, gives you other conventions, let's say, that you need to observe. And of course you need to study deeply within your medium, or of course we talk about studying deeply within your genre, but you then of course you want to look at other mediums, other genres. You know, we do talk a lot about reading deeply and widely. And we read deeply, right? Because we need to understand fundamentally what kind of story are we trying to tell? How do we communicate with, with our intended audience? But then we read widely and consume, I should say, widely because it helps us innovate. It helps us see the ways you can do things the same but different. Right. And so when I say there's a few basic concepts, it's shocking how few there are. Like you need to have a character, a main character that the reader or audience member, listener cares about, that you have to develop empathy. And there are ways to develop empathy and you have to study those. But developing empathy is sort of, not sort of, it is key having clearly defined objects of desire. Uh, Aaron Sorkin calls it intention and obstacle. And when he first said that, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Now I understand he's talking about the intention is what does the character want? The obstacle is what is keeping the character from getting that thing that they want? That's the intention and obstacle. We call them objects of desire. So a conscious want and a subconscious need. And that attaches to external genres, internal genres. So do you see how understanding one concept then starts to branch out to all of the smaller storytelling tools that allow you as a storyteller in whatever medium you're working in to make that effect happen, to generate the empathy with your protagonist, to hook your audience, to build tension. To, I mean, it, it's story is elegant in its simplicity, I think. And it's our job to understand what are these basic fundamentals of storytelling and how do we get them to work? How do we make them happen? Yes. That is the job. So, well, that's the artistry, right? That's yes. Yeah. That's what, and this is where like on up, we, we had a conversation about the writer's perspective and voice, and that's where that comes in the artistry. And what do you have to say as an artist about a given topic, whatever you're writing about? Yes. Okay. So when we were breaking down scenes, the first area of inquiry for us was the scene type. And so we looked at things like, what's the function of the scene in the story? In other words, the editor scene type. 
and then what kind of scene it is, which is the writer scene type. We were looking at what does it accomplish? How many people are in the scene, the location, all of these details to try to find, well, to try to get to the bottom of what can we use? What is going to be useful to us as writers and editors to in, in our work? So what are some key takeaways for, for you when thinking about the scene types that we discussed this season? First of all, I, until we did this conscious, deliberate study of scene type, I hadn't understood how important the location is. I don't know that I really gave it a lot of thought. I mean, maybe I did, you know, maybe I knew it somehow on a subconscious level. I had just um, implicitly absorbed this information from having consumed so many stories, but I hadn't, I had never explicitly studied it before. The location of the scene is not arbitrary at all. And we saw this over and over and over, like in the King's speech. What an amazing place to have that I have a voice conversation for Lionel Logue to be pushing on Bertie to get him to accept the power that is his and, and, and the job that he was about to step into. Westminster Abbey, beautiful location. Uh, in the marriage story, which we didn't do this season, but we we have a, a whole bite-sized episode about this from the Roundtable podcast. Having it in, uh, is, is it Charlie? Is that his name? In his apartment was vital because he he had no power at all. So giving him home court advantage was the only way that that argument was even going to have a chance of being even. I mean, otherwise, Nicole was just going to steamroll the guy because she had all the power. And we see this over and over and over again. Uh, I mean, I love to use the example from the opening chapter of The Accidental Tourist. They're in a car. Whenever you have some two people in a car, whoever's in the driver's seat is in the driver's seat. <laughs> you know, that is the person with the power in the scene. So the, lo the reason I'm saying location isn't arbitrary is because it is directly tied to the point of power and the point of conflict in the scene. And of course, the point of power and the point of conflict is linked to the turning point, the crisis, the climax. And if your scene is not working, th there's no conflict, there's no crisis, there's no turning point. So do you see how all these things mesh together to form a scene that works really well? And scenes that work really well build into sequences that work really well. And it's the nested doll thing. So if you can get the smallest unit of story, the smallest unit of story for a prose writer being the scene, that's the one that we work on, uh, certainly that I work on in the creative phase. If we can get that working, then suddenly magic starts to happen. This is the type of stuff that, in my opinion, this is the kind of knowledge of the craft that, in my opinion, takes a book from, yeah, it was, it was all right, it was pretty good, I guess, to, oh my God, you have to read it. A story from, yeah, I bought it, I, I may or may not have finished it, 
to a story that is read over and over and over throughout the years, books that I read when I was 17, my daughter now at 17 is reading, not because I told her to read them, but because, because they're still out there, they're still being loved and still being enjoyed because of this type of attention to detail. This is, this is where, as a writer, when I see someone who is writing beautifully, I, when, you, when you can see the craft at work, oh, it's a good thing. It also means you can see when the craft is really not working. <laughs> that's the downside to this job, but that's okay. I will take it because the upside is so amazing. Like I, like I just finished um, Magpie Murders, Anthony Horowitz. I can see what he's doing there. And even though I can see the craft happening, it doesn't matter. It just made me love the book more. It makes me respect Anthony Horowitz more. Anyway, that's, I think that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Well, that's great. I think that's a really important point. Both of them, the location and the conflict and how they're connected. One of the things that I noticed this season that I hadn't really picked up on, I think it was it was emerging but hadn't quite gotten there, is that writer scene types can be applied to different units of story. So that's, you know, on one level, we see Sean talks about beat types in the Ground Your Craft course. So we've got these little beats within scenes, and you can have scenes based on them. But what I recognized is that you can have, like, let's take, for example, a chase scene like we had in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. You could have a chase beat that involves flirtatious behavior between lovers, right? You could have, of course, the chase scene like we see in, in the Harry Potter story. You can have a chase sequence. You can have an act that is one big chase. Or at the level of the story, you can have a hunted plot, right? So it's the same basic movement, the same elements. It's just a different scope. So when we think about that, we can, we can really practice scenes with an eye toward what's the big story. And in reality, your core event of your story, chances are, is the story type boiled down to a scene type. So I just love that. Um, I was thinking about also the scenes where we uh, take stock and weigh options. And we see them in, you know, of course, we see them in battles and that kind of thing when someone's about to enter conflict. But to me, the story Brooklyn that we did on the round table is one big taking stock and weighing options story. So that was really fun to notice. Another thing that I noticed is that we've I've talked a lot about this, but I don't think I've been very specific, is thinking about scenes in the abstract. 
And this is just another way of like changing the scope, changing the vantage point from which you are looking at the action that's happening and what it means. So we can make things very specific, but when we make them abstract, we can start to apply these scene types to different stories, right? So you might have um, some obvious ones, a fighting a duel, two gangs fighting, a battle between two armies. Those are differences of scale and scope. But a courtroom scene is not that different, right? A football game, a dance or a music competition. Those all have very similar elements. And when we can start to see them in the abstract, what's really going on based on the point of conflict, then we can really use these scene types. Our, you know, we can pull them from our Rolodex of, <laughs> of, of scene types and, oh, this, is, this one is perfect, great. And that brings me to my last point about story events is that once you start studying them, you're going to start seeing them everywhere. Collect them. Figure out your own way to tag them. Don't wait for us to do it. We, we are doing the best we can with incredibly busy schedules. So if you're waiting on us, you're going to be waiting <laughs> a long time. But, you know, when I think about all the scenes we've analyzed, Valerie, three editor trainings, we have the guild sprints that Sean did earlier this year. We have, there's a guild scene every month that is analyzed. The scenes we've done on the podcast, all the masterworks we've studied outside of our official, you know, presentation. That's a lot of scenes. And probably if you're listening to this, you've got a lot of scenes in your mind too. Get those down in a way that you can access them so that you can use it. They will help you when you get stuck, when you need to execute the editor scene type, like one of the spinal scenes or an obligatory moment. So don't wait for us. Do it for yourself. And you know, Leslie, there, there isn't an unlimited number of editor scene types. There isn't. There's, there's a handful of them. They're all very important. You need to know what they are and, and how, to, how to use them and where to use them. My theory is that there aren't a lot of writer scene types either. I don't think there's an infinite number of them. I think they're this is my hypothesis and I'm going to continue to study this to see if my hypothesis is true or not, but I think we can come up with some big categories of them that probably aren't that many of them. And then we might see variations on, on this type, like, like, you know, the, I mentioned Ann Tyler, uh, and the opening scene of the accidental tourist where Macon and Sarah are driving in a car. Well, that's in the, just what you said, that's at the scene level, but you can make that a sequence. You can make that the whole story. How many films have we watched where it's a, Thelma and Louise, they're in a car, they're driving. 
And if you notice in Thelma and Louise, they're taking turns driving the car because they're a team. One of them is not dominant over the other. That is not a fluke. Right? See, so this is, oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> I love it when this happens. <laughs> I'm such a story nerd. But this is, this is the artistry. This is what I'm talking about, that it's not an infinite number of things that you have to learn. Sometimes it feels like that. Uh, I'm the first one to say that, you know, when I started in this business, every time I tried something new or I, or I had a question, it felt like there was this tsunami of information coming at me. And I thought, ha, I just want to write a story. That's all I want to do. I, yeah, I want to just be in my office, just working away and writing down the stories that are in my head, like, holy Hannah, this is nuts. But after you've been at it a while, you like when you're learning it originally, it's all just one little rule here or one little tidbit here. And there, they, there doesn't seem to be any connection between any of them. But after a while, you start to see, oh, those two things that I learned separately, oh, they're the same thing. They're just applied differently because they came from two different genres, but it's the same thing. Ah, right, and your, your whole knowledge of story becomes deeper and wider and, and richer, and it becomes a lot less confusing. So if, if you're kind of overwhelmed with all the theory coming at you, take heart, stay with it. It, it gets easier. The more you do, the, 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 the clearer it becomes in your mind. Definitely, definitely. We, and we need those encouraging words because sometimes we're just, we feel like we're stuck in the muck, right? We too <laughs> feel stuck in the muck. So, so take heart and just keep, keep going. So after the, the scene type questions, we looked at the story event questions. And I love how these have evolved over time um, to be more specific. And now Sean is linking them to his notion of we've got three levels of story. And I'm not going to go into all of that here, <laughs> but just the basics the the literal what the characters are literally doing is connected to you know what they're physically doing they're you know they're what they're doing with their hands as you would say Valerie right that's the that's what's happening externally the what we've talked about as essential action or we now call the essential tactic is really and their enacting or um, bringing forth what their worldview, right? They're applying their worldview to the situation at hand. And that's what that question is about. And then the third, the, the value shift, right, is all about the heroic journey and where are we in Maslow's hierarchy. And of course, the fourth one brings it all together. And it feels like it can feel like a make work project, right? To, to craft that story event statement, right? With, with all three parts. But what I love about it is in its simplicity, we get the action 
the conflict between worldviews and the change in the scene. So if we can get good at that, we can, you know, it's, somebody recently said, it's like the log line of a story. The that was scene. me. Oh, that was you. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant, Valerie. It's brilliant. Thank you. That idea, right? <laughs> that the story event is like the log line of the story. So again, we're thinking in levels. We've got all these levels and it's the same, the same concepts apply. Um, so yes. And then the other thing I would say about the story event questions is that they help us get beyond scenes as activity or a series of interesting things happening because scenes really need to be about more than that. And this helps us get to the bottom of it. Okay. Valerie, what did you learn about story events uh, this season by applying these questions? Story event is one of the things that really confounded me for a long time. Even though I was naturally working all around it, like when I first discovered StoryGrid, this is before I could even, I, look, I couldn't even cope with the spreadsheet when initially. I just couldn't. I didn't know what the thing was. <laughs> and if I'm being honest, I, I kind of looked at it and thought, well, that's for real writers. Because I looked at Sean's biography and the, and the people that he's worked with, that, you know, the, the laundry list of, of A-list writers that he was working with. And I thought, well, that, that kind of stuff is for them, the real writers. And it's just me sitting out here on a rock in the middle of the North Atlantic. And I just didn't have the skill yet as a writer to understand what any of the stuff on the spreadsheet was for. That said, as I was writing the novel I was working on at the time, I was tracking literal action, essential action, and value shift without understanding what those things were. Intuitively, I guess because I just read so many books and watched so many movies, and I'd, I've been writing for 20, 25 years, I needed to know those things and I didn't know how to articulate them. So I remember when we did the love story workshop in February, 2017, and Sean taught us these four questions, a, a huge light bulb went off. I was like, oh, oh, this is the thing I've been trying to understand. Well, Sean, because he'd been at it a lot longer than me, had language to explain what it was I was trying to figure out intuitively. And he had a structure for figuring it out. So I'm happy just to, to pay him to teach me what he's already figured out, save myself a lot of time. I'm 50, the clock's ticking. So, you know, just give it to me and teach me what it is and let me get on with my novel. These four questions on one hand can seem completely overwhelming. And this is what I was getting back to, you know, getting back to what I was saying a minute ago, Remember, it's actually a lot more simple than it appears. We have different iterations of these four questions because we're refining as we go and as we apply and as we learn to teach this material. But all you're trying to do really is figure out, is track really, track 
what is happening in that scene within the context of the story? How is that scene moving the global story forward? That in, in its most basic form is what the story event is. And unless you're planning on submitting to StoryGrid Publishing, you can write your story event as quickly or as in-depth as you need to write it. Because this is a tool for you. So, like, for example, I used to start with, you know, the coffee shop scene, and then I would go on and write that and go on to, you know, several other scenes. And then when I came back and looked at the coffee shop scene, that wasn't enough to tell me who was in that scene. Why are they in a co Like, what is happening in that scene? So it would be, I graduated to um, the coffee shop scene where a boy and girl break up. Right? That would, oh, okay, now I know what that's hap what all that is about. That's what your story, at a, at a really basic level, that's a story event. So if using these four questions helps you figure out what your story event is, awesome, articulate it in the way that you need to articulate it to help you write your novel. Don't get caught up in the story grid language. Yes, yes. We always want to apply the tool, apply the tools in a way that works for us, in a way that has meaning for us. So it's really important to, that's why I say like collect your own scenes, right? Like make it, make it work for you. Okay, the five commandments of storytelling. Of course we do these and the cool thing that that i have you know picked up on i don't know when this crystallized but the the idea that the five commandments of storytelling at the scene level are the way we dramatize the story event it's like how okay i need this story event for my story. So how on earth am I going to do that? Well, this is how you do it, right? And of course, incidentally, it's not incidentally, it's all part of the plan. That it's true of other story or other story units as well, right? The global five commandments are the way we dramatize the controlling idea of the story. And this insight has been so useful because when we started, it felt like we're just filling this in, right? Because Sean get, told us to, we're not sure what we're doing. Just Sean said, do it. So we're doing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're kind of like, I don't, I don't know what the point is, but what he says kind of makes sense to me. And he says he does this, so I'm going to try it too. And then you start to see how everything is connected and how it makes sense and how it actually helps us write and edit. And that's just, it's a beautiful thing. You know, Leslie, you're, you're absolutely right. But what the five commandments also does is allow us to dramatize character development. Because really characters aren't developed, they're revealed. And they're revealed 
through their action under pressure. Now, what is action under pressure? That's the climactic decision that comes following a crisis question that has arisen because of a turning point. Ta-da! <laughs> so don't tell us that Jane is upset. Show us that Jane is upset because the trigger will be the turning point. Her crisis is, am I gonna lash out and give this person a piece of my mind or am I gonna smile? And am I gonna hold it in? Cause what's at stake? Which of these actions is gonna get me closer to the thing that I want? Cause I could lash out at this person now, but that means any chance of getting what I want, my object of desire evaporates and I'm in big trouble. Also, your story's over. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you might want her for some reason to grit her teeth and get through it. And that is her climactic action. But you, you dramatize that, right? So when you get through the scene or the whichever unit of story you're talking about, because of course the five commandments are in every unit of story, we've learned something about Jane. And what it is we've learned entirely depends on your story, your, your setup. It could be that she's a pushover. Maybe that's what we've learned. It could be that she's really clever and crafty. Uh, you know, you see this in political stories. Uh, they're not going to lash out on the surface all the time because it's not a, a physical action movie. It's a intellectual, like you don't see people necessarily punching each other out on the West Wing. But there, but the, but the battle is intellectual. So their action, their on the surface action, this gets back to our story event questions that we just talked about, the on the surface action is to smile and nod. The, 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 um, that's the literal action, sorry. The essential action is to um, plot revenge <laughs> or give the other person a false sense of security and make them think that you're backing down. But the audience knows that's not really how Claire Underwood, how often, how often, she's a creepy character, boy. Whew. How often does Claire Underwood smile very nicely at the person she is about to slice in half? Right? And yes, and that's, I, I mean, the first scene, just even just watch the first season of uh, House of Cards. Her character, you, I mean, she just gives you chills. And because that's a, actually a really good study in literal and essential action, Claire Underwood. And of course, Robin Wright's amazing. So, so that's, that's all I have to say about that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't give me an open mic because I'll never shut up. You got to keep, keep me moving along here, <laughs> Leslie. <laughs> okay. Well, so if, if you had to boil this down, this whole season, distill it down to one big takeaway for writers when it comes to writing scenes, what would you say, Valerie? All this story theory is great. And obviously I find it fascinating, but it can also be really overwhelming. Don't allow it to overwhelm you. If you're 
you know, fairly new to this. And, it, and to this, I mean, studying the craft, you could have written 10 novels already, but you haven't sat down to, to really pull it apart. You know, you're writing intuitively and now you want to level up somehow. So if you're relatively new to this and it feels like you feel like I did, like there's a tsunami of information coming at you, just make it simple for yourself. Focus on the five commandments of storytelling at the scene level. Don't worry about anything else. Just focus on that. Get those working at the scene level. And when you feel that you've achieved a certain level of proficiency, then you can come back and start. You can listen to these episodes again. We've got a hundred and how many episodes? I've lost count. We're probably getting close to 200. Go back and listen to them again and then layer in a new thing. And just take your time and learn one thing at a time. But start with the five commandments of storytelling at the scene level. That's great advice. I'm actually, I'm going to complicate things. (laughs) So we have a lot of questions already. But what I would add is to make note of point of view and narrative device or type you know, in the, within the scene analysis, I was so struck this season by the details in every scene we analyzed and where do those come from? How do the writers make those decisions that are so powerful that it's the, it's the subtext created with actual words on the page, right? Well, when you truly understand narrative vantage point, within the scene, you get new insights about how the writer put it together. And we can apply that to our own stories. So we, at bottom, we're studying these masterwork scenes to understand the decisions that the skilled writers are making and the effects that those choices create. So narrative vantage point is a really important part of that. And I would add it to our analysis. And that wraps it up for this week. Remember, if you want to become a better writer, you've got to write and you've got to read. Why not challenge yourself this week to take one of the ideas we talked about in the episode and use it in your work? To support the show, leave us a rating and review and tell your writer friends about us. And if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the channel. If you want to see how we put story theory into practice, subscribe to the UnPodcast at ValerieFrancis.ca slash Inner Circle or Writership.com. For show notes, blog posts, and information on the StoryGrid courses and guild, visit StoryGrid.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.